Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell. And today we are talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Amelie. Our theme is like Tumblr faves. That's Quirky, what I've been. T- twee, yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. People Tumblr have been faves. excited about it on Instagram, and I just keep saying it's Tumblr faves. <laughs> Tumblr faves. A whole series could be done, really. <laughs> but before we jump in, let's catch up. What are you into, Bridget? Um, honestly, this was kind of a hard week for me to think of stuff that, like, new things I was. Um, Mm-hmm. Like consuming and watching and reading. So I saved one from our last episode. Oh, that nice. I did not use. And that is a show on HBO Max called The Other Two. It is created by some former SNL people. And the premise is it's about a Justin Bieber like child star, like a 13, 14 year old boy who goes viral overnight. But the focus of the series is about his two older siblings who are both <laughs> like kind of like failures. And in their late 20s, early 30s, his sister, Brooke, is um, like kind of just floundering at life in a bad relationship, not really doing anything fulfilling. And his brother, Carrie, is trying to become an actor. So their brother becomes super duper famous uh, suddenly. And it's kind of about both of them trying to reevaluate what they want in life and also kind of, you know, like this weird line of how much do they capitalize on their brother's newfound fame it's really funny, though. Molly Shannon plays their mom in a really hilarious bit. It kind of makes me think, like, I don't really think SNL is that funny, but you can tell that, like, lots of funny people come out of SNL and do mm-hmm. funny shows. Like, I was thinking this about Trill. You know, I think, like, mm-hmm. SNL is just, like, an oppressive system that squeezes humor out of people. Um, I've never watched it. Like, literally, I've never watched. I hate like- watch it a lot. And I'm always like, this is not funny. This shit is stupid. And now they're having Elon Musk host. Like, they're fucking dumb. They're dumb edge lords, uh, but they're not even that edgy. They're like <laughs> soft lords. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, so really enjoying the other two. Can't wait for season two to come out on HBO Max. It's a really quick watch. It reminds me a little of Thirty Rock. It's very like pop culture heavy, um, but there's a lot of really good jokes. Um, one of the songs that the teen pop star writes is called my brother's gay and the chorus is like my brother's gay and i think it's okay (laughs) and uh he releases it without his older brother knowing um and it's a it's a catchy song like all of the songs they do are like parodies of justin bieber songs and they're Mm -hmm. super super catchy um (laughs) really like it um the other thing i am slowly reading and about to finish is the most recent book from elena ferrante the elusive anonymous italian author who writes under a pen name it's called The Lying Life of Adults, and I think she is just amazing at capturing like young women on the verge of adolescence or in adolescence who are coming to terms with their own rage. Um, that's like the only way I can really think to describe mm-hmm. it is it's about like women feeling rage. She writes a lot about poor barrios in Naples, Italy, um, and this book in particular is about a young girl who has two like academic parents who she really loves and she feels very close with. And her whole life changes one day when she overhears her father telling her mother, um, Gianni looks more and more like Vittoria every day. And Vittoria is her aunt that they don't talk to. She's estranged and her father hates her aunt and talks about her as like an ugly monster. So Gianni is like 12, 13 and suddenly hears her father compare her to this woman that she's never met, who she thinks of as basically like a monstrous woman. 
Um, so Gianni becomes obsessed with meeting her aunt Vittoria and then goes behind her parents back to kind of build that bridge and make that relationship happen. And it's kind of about what happens from there and how her life kind of changes both through like puberty and through her aunt's presence in her life. Um, but Elena Ferrante just rips. She's just, she's good. She's like so good that I'm like, I want to learn Italian to read this in the original language. She's really good. The Napoleon trilogy was so good. Maybe it's four books. It's not a trilogy. Anyway, and then the <laughs> last thing I'm into, I read earlier today, and it's an article on Vulture called The End of Kimye's Wild Ride by Allison Davis. And the word I'm saying there is Kimye, a portmanteau of Kanye and Kim. <laughs> it is about, like, it's like a in memoriam for, like, their relationship. And it's really interesting. I love a good piece of pop culture writing. Um, that kind of like synthesizes a bunch of events to make sense of them and just like understand where we're at, uh, like politically and culturally. The interesting point she makes about Kanye and Kim Kardashian is that they both met at like this intersecting point of their careers where Kim was on the up and up and Kanye was kind of like the, the bigger star and Mm -hmm. they have now like passed each other kind of Mm -hmm. where Kim has used their relationship as like a rocket launcher of her career mm-hmm. and building her brand. And now Kanye's life is kind of in shambles. Um, and it's really interesting. And Alison Davis does a really um, great job of kind of like talking about how race affects this whole situation too, mm-hmm. and their relationship and their perception, everyone's perception of their relationship. Um, I just, they're just, it's always fascinating to read about um, like mega stars uh, through like really good writing. So I recommend it. And it's also crazy to look back on all of the stuff we've been through with Kim and Kanye. Mm-hmm. Like he premiered the Bound 2 music video on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And I can remember watching it in our quad in Riker. Like oh, wow. watching it premiere. Yeah. Oh, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm into this week, Mackenzie. What are you into this week? Well, speaking of uh, Kim Kardashian, I am into the uh, series of episodes surrounding the O.J. Simpson trial uh, on the podcast called You're Wrong About, which you've talked about before on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's such a good show. Um, They have a lot of episodes covering this because it's the way that they frame it are each episode focuses on a different person involved in the murder and then the trial. And it spans like years, them covering this topic. And I am finally doing a deep dive into it so i have all of the episodes queued up and i just refuse to listen to any other podcast until i can get through it um but it i remember a few years ago when the uh i think it was called the making of oj or something the documentary series came out at the same time as the ryan murphy show came out about the trial Um, And I watched both of those like back to back and I just, I don't like really remember this. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I was even alive, but I don't remember this happening when I was a kid. (laughs) I I don't, I don't have anything like the podcast hosters like are, have like some sort of like memory like Mm -hmm. I do with Princess Diana dying, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, like this vague recollection of like, why is this important? 
uh, my parents think it's important type of thing. But I don't have that with this. So um, it's just like a very interesting, I think, like turning point in terms of like the way that like in media, uh, essentially, it's just like what uh, I think like the second time the a nation was like captured by a trial Mm. um and sort of shaped like reality television or like sort of launched that maybe which is interesting because kim's father robert kardashian that's why i was saying that they're related by the way uh the jumping off point from kim yay to this Mm. (laughs) oj simpson trial was that rob kardashian was friends with oj simpson um but it's really uh just nicole brown simpson was like almost beheaded um oh my god and ron goldman was also murdered and it's like he definitely did it (laughs) uh but it just there is a lot of like it's also about like race in Mm -hmm. america the police and like how the police like they do say at one point um the only thing more powerful than racism in america is celebrity um which i'm not sure if it's like totally true but i think like it's just Mm -hmm. interesting how like wealth and celebrity and race can all like intersect um yeah it's so interesting yeah, it's just a really interesting, like, thing that happened in history, and be- it's part of the reason it's so interesting is because it's been covered so much, starting from, like, the mm-hmm. first second anything happened. Um, so I've been really enjoying that. Um, and then the second thing I'm into are, like, two songs. I'll shout out, I'm going to shout out two songs because they're, like, little Yay. songs, so I'm going to talk about them. Okay, the first is Posing in Bondage um, by Japanese Breakfast. It's a new uh, song off their single. Their, it's a new single off their album that's coming out soon. Yeah, June, maybe? July? June? June? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but And we have tickets to see yeah. them in Philly. So very excited about that. But um, it's a, I first heard it watching the music video at the same time. So I also really recommend the music video. Mm. It reminds me sort of of a similar vibe to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night just because it has like a vampire-esque feel to it, um, at least at the beginning. Mm. And then it's just like, at the beginning, you're like, this is like a haunted, sad bop, but then it gets to like a dancing bop. I would say ha- like halfway through, you're you're like, oh, I actually can dance to this. It's just so good. I like it's have really been playing good. it on repeat for the past few weeks. Um, and then the second song I'm into is Control by Mannequin Pussy, who is, an- they're both Philly bands, Mannequin Pussy, another Love Philly it. band, and the, also the last band I saw before COVID happened. So I have like some nostalgia around them. Um, but they're also, they also have an album coming out soon and a single off of it that was released, um, like probably a month ago now is called control mm-hmm. and it's also really good. It's like, uh, it, in a similar way, I guess, sort of starts off kind of like mellow and then gets more like punk, uh, 
different different genres i guess Mm -hmm. but like still very good and they're friends so (laughs) um and then the final thing i'm into is it's it's been a while since i brought up bon appetit so this is fine (laughs) (laughs) is molly baz's new cookbook cook this book uh it just came out this week and my I my parents had pre-ordered it for me for Christmas, <laughs> and it just Aww. came. Uh, so now I have it, and I bake a lot, but I don't and but I don't like follow cooking recipes often. I sort of just throw things together because I'm always intimidated by like buying ingredients and having the right things on hand. I think baking, it's like you always just have the stuff that you need in your pantry because it doesn't go bad. But cooking, there's a lot of other things. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have like a lot of anxiety about cooking, especially cooking for other people. But it's something that I want to get better about. And this book, it seems very like accessible. Um it seems like Molly and whoever probably helped maybe write the book. Uh, not to be, not to discount Molly, but um, I'm sure like a team okay. helped. She had help. Teams yeah. help. Exactly. Um, she like organizes all the ingredients into where you could find them in the grocery store. And then Love she so like smart. repeats the ingredient uh, measurements within the recipe so you don't lose your place. Um, and some recipes that have like, uh, fundamental cooking skills, she has a QR code in them that links to a video of her showing you how to do it. Um, so I feel like it'll be, I mean, I know how to cook. I just, I'm intimidated by it. So I feel like this will be a good way for me to like get more comfortable cooking, I guess. Um, and she also explains like different flavor profiles and gives you ideas for how to like add things Mm -hmm. if you think it tastes one way and you want to change it a little um so i'm excited i haven't cooked anything i just got it like two days ago um so i haven't cooked anything from it yet but hopefully i will tomorrow so excited (laughs) love it oh my gosh i'm excited to get it too Mm -hmm. unfortunately (laughs) I am invested in all of these people's brands. No. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Well, let's dive into our nostalgic early 2000s episode. Our first movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from 2004. Sometimes after a bad breakup, you want to immediately forget the pain it caused. But Joel Barish and Clementine Krasinski have not only forgotten their breakup, but also the entire relationship that preceded it. Both of them visited Lacuna, a medical firm that enables you to forget a person through specifically targeted brain damage. During the process, Joel revisits every painful, messy, and sometimes wonderful moment he shared with Clementine and conspires with his subconscious to save their relationship. Um, I think this is like my second time ever seeing this movie after having watched it probably, I would guess, like circa 2008, 2007. Because I saw it on Tumblr, and Mm -hmm. um, this might be a good jumping off point for us, that both of these movies are, uh, like, Tumblr favorites, (laughs) and why do you think, like, what about these movies do you think made them a sensation on the social media website known as Tumblr? 
Well, I think that they both have, uh, they're both like fantasy, but in a seemingly a, a more adult mm. way. So I think that's appealing to probably like that adolescent time period of people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that they have, I don't know how else to say this, but like aesthetic, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're do. very easy to, I think one of um, the reviews we read about Amelie described it as like uh, a postcard of mm -hmm. like certain elements of France. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that kind of like can distill what makes a good Tumblr gif set is like a very pretty, uh, pretty, pretty frame. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Or like like a little emotional moment also distilled down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the people who make Tumblr gift sets have a real eye too for mm -hmm. like appreciating good cinematography. It's yeah. cool to see people like fans kind of like make their own visual language mm -hmm. while appreciating a movie. It's really cool. And Fandoms it could like cool. totally like trick you and it could yeah. like create oh. like a whole other narrative oh, around yeah. the the characters like i remember i started watching teen wolf because i thought that two people were together and then i was yeah. like because of tumblr gif sets and then i started yeah. watching it and they were not together or and like i was an, disappointed yeah or like an alternate universe or if like like i was watching amelie and i was like someone could easily recut this trailer to be a horror movie like mm. very easily yeah a, like a moment where she was like looking at at Nino from like behind something and the music was like a little bit of a minor key and mm -hmm. I was like this could go in another direction <laughs> um this movie I think uh, Eternal Sunshine is a quintessential deep dark of winter with no hope of spring movie it feels like their entire relationship transpires in February the month of February yeah you're right there's like one part where they're hiking and it's it Oh, yeah, right. But it's like fall because there's no mm -hmm. leaves on the tree. So it's still very bleak, but she's just wearing a t-shirt. So it's like confusing. Not winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this movie stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet directed and written by, oh, I'm sorry, directed by Michelle Gondry and written by Charlie Kaufman, who TBH, um, I might also describe as an edgelord, sad boy, uh, yeah. not to just use buzzwords. But he I feel like good own. at like dream slash nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah. Or like men being so navel gazy that mm. they don't see the real problems around them. Um, I'm thinking especially of I'm thinking of ending things. Did you see I'm thinking of no, ending things? Or I sounds, told you not to see it. Yeah. It, don't. Don't. It felt like I'm thinking of ending things felt like if no one was there to temper Charlie Kaufman for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Because mm. like his script is okay but i think like michelle gondry's um direction and the cinematography is like what makes the movie memorable yeah you know i, think I don't so really too. think of the script and even kate winslet and jim carrey kind of sound like very annoying aliens talking to each other yeah i know? totally agree and that's one of like my big problems with this movie is that they they don't seem relatable at all and they're very I hate to say this, but like annoying. They're so annoying. Oh my and God. I don't know, like maybe I guess I, my relationship with this movie is I saw it a few times 
I think when I was younger, like at least two times, mm. maybe three before this. Mm. But I don't like it. I remember I always like wanted to like it. But Same. I could never get into it. And I think it is because because well, for one, because it's so bleak, like you said, mm-hmm. um, but also because I can't relate to the characters. Yeah, it's almost like radically off-putting. Yeah, how annoying these people are. Where you're like, okay, I'm. On one hand, I'm like, at least it's both of them, and not just Clementine, kind mm-hmm. of being like this garish person. She's really outspoken and extroverted, rude, also mm-hmm. at times. And Joel is, like, very nebbish and quiet and mumbly, you know, mm-hmm. um, but also seems to ha- have some sort of, like, dark negativity in him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are, yeah, they're very annoying. And I'm like, I don't know if they should be together. <laughs> well, I think that is the thing. I don't think they are compatible, yeah. which I think makes... that It seems like there are not really stakes Maybe yeah, because I don't a good point. really want them to be together. I don't enjoy like watching them, but mm-hmm. it's also like I understand it's saying like it is saying some interesting things about relationships um, and memory, which I do appreciate. Like I think that it does do a good job of showing the like ebb and flow of relationships mm-hmm. um because they i do i almost wish though that there were more sweet moments between them because mm-hmm. it is mostly them fighting i would say and i think that's part of why it se- seems like i don't believe their relationship mm-hmm. but maybe you're not Definitely. supposed to yeah <laughs> true um in a Vanity Fair article about why the film still resonates um, on its anniversary, Chaos and Collins writes, the film's fascinating conjecture is that the manic pixie dream girl and the indie hero probably aren't actually very well suited for each other. Not because either one is a villain, but because of basic incompatibility, which Mm -hmm. I think is really interesting. And it's a, it's almost like better to read this movie as like, it's about incompatible people who are like mm. drawn together than it is about like soulmates yeah. who are trying to find their way back to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think the bit about the manic pixie dream girl is what else is interesting. I don't think she necessarily is a manic pixie dream girl, mm. but I agree with you that like it would have been actually helpful for a movie that's all about their relationship. I, wa- you walk away like I still don't really understand their relationship, mm. you know? Um, Especially since, like, why we're seeing it, it's almost like meta commentary the whole time, mm-hmm. which can result in some really good scenes. I think my favorite bit of writing and scene work is the very end where they are simultaneously like acquaintances and also realizing they had a relationship and they're listening to tapes of themselves mm-hmm. speaking about a stranger they once knew very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like a, that, that the whole movie is kind of like turns on that the interestingness of like watching that moment you know like watching people realize they know someone that they've forgotten um the movie has a really impressive supporting cast Mm -hmm. uh you got marky mark ruffalo you got elijah wood kirsten dunce who i love in everything and tom wilkinson as their boss they all work at lacuna um and i think the subplot with the technicians and the doctor 
has more stakes for me than the relationship where I'm like more interested in what's going on with this little triad. I totally agree. She had an affair with her boss, played by Tom Wilkinson, who is old enough to be her dad or grandfather. Yeah. And um, also had his abortion um, and kind of is spurred to leak all the secrets of um, the place she works at mm-hmm. um, and kind of like spur on this um, reconciliation between Joel and Clementine indirectly. Um, and I, I do feel like her realizing the scene where she kind of realizes that she has already forgotten their affair because she underwent mm-hmm. the procedure as like such a good emotional gut punch um, where I'm like, I don't want to go back to, <laughs> to Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Right. Does Jim Carrey work for you as like a romantic lead either? Um, I don't know. It, it is a weird performance he's doing because yeah, I do think he could do it, but for like, I, I, but he's so he's broad. Well, he's so um he's so one thing until he's not in this movie. Mm. Like he's so quiet and like dowdy mm-hmm. until he's doing something silly and then when he's doing something silly he's like it's almost like Jim he's Carrey. like, Oh, that's Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, um but so I think I think I mean I think I like Jim Carrey like I think he could do uh I and I would like to see him I don't know has he done anything else like more serious like this I don't he even did, know um the Andy Kaufman role he also apparently uh paired up with uh Gondry again for a tv show that came out there's oh. so many tv shows that like <laughs> keep track of the tv shows but like kind of another like serious role where he reunited with this director um, and he was in Sonic the Hedgehog movie, you know. Oh yeah, um, a so good he's, movie. He's kept busy. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, I, I totally agree with you. He is not my favorite comedic actor, hmm. so uh, I don't always like jive with him. Yeah, I think Kate Winslet's really good in this, even though she's really annoying. Uh, women can be annoying too. <laughs> um, I was like, all right, let me look up the ages of these two Hmm. scene partners who are supposed to be in love. And he is like a fully like 12 years older than her. Oh, shit. So I was like, oh, I hate when that happens. And similar for Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And I hate when like a movie's casting makes me do like insane um, math in my head where I'm like, okay, Kirsten Dunst, like what, like 21, 22 in this movie? So, like, wh- how did she get this job? <laughs> Is she in school? Like, come on. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I realized recently, this is such a um, a rabbit hole I'm going down, but I was thinking about the 2014 Godzilla movie, because I, oh, because I learned that uh, Mary Elizabeth Olsen is, oh, probably from our last episode, mm-hmm. I was thinking about her age, she's 33, so I did the math, she was, like, 23 when, no, that's not right. She was young, okay? She's She was in her early 20s mm-hmm. when she did the Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. And in it, I don't know if you remember this, she has a son that is like a walking, moving child. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so she was, she, like, what are we supposed to believe? It's just, movies casting makes it seem like every woman has had a baby and a career, like, mm. immediately, because they only cast women that are under 25. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. It happens with Jennifer Lawrence all the time. Like, Jennifer Lawrence plays a yeah. mom. yeah. 
And I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my my divergent piece about casting in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the look of the movie, other than it being like really dreary. Uh, there's some fun uh, special effects that they kept really like lo-fi and mm-hmm. practical, which I really appreciate in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I uh, I think that is one of the more interesting parts of this movie. I do like all the like sci- lo-fi sci-fi stuff. I love that type of thing. I think that. Um. Um. A series that I think does it really well and sort of similarly is Maniac on Netflix. Mm. I love that show. I've only seen it once, but it's like one of my favorite TV shows. Um, And this has a similar feel um, because it reminds me sort of of something that like Terry Gilliam might do where it's Mm, like... it's like a near future, some things are slightly different, you know, mm, type sci-fi mm. thing. Um, but if you don't look too closely, it looks like just present day or whatever, which I think is really interesting. I don't like Terry Gilliam movies, though, because they cause anxiety. And I think that... Oh, this, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think that this movie doesn't have enough of... I think what, why it works in Maniac is because it is balanced by this like Wes Anderson orderly aesthetic where, mm-hmm. um, yeah, things just are like it's more tweet. organized. Yeah, it's more it's more tweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this one is just like messy, so I think yeah. it, it does lean more toward anxiety inducing. And I think that I mean mm-hmm. I think it's like deliberate. Um, yeah. But it's just it's just not for me. Not for me either. And I think Amelie will be a good movie to compare it with in that way. In right. terms of aesthetic that are in the same family. Like cousins, maybe. Not yeah. siblings. You know? Well, I do think that in terms of like effects, I think that this movie ages better. Um, okay, because yeah, of all definitely. the uh, like practical effects than Amelie. Mm-hmm. I think... I think in Amelie there are some like CGI effects that don't age super well, but that still like work for me, kind of mm-hmm. like sometimes. Yeah, I almost will like appreciate a CGI effect more if it's not even trying to be like remotely realistic. Me looking. too. Like not to jump ahead, but like Amelie's heart beating. Where I'm, yeah, like, that that's like a storybook, you know? Right. It doesn't. It just like uh, exactly. When we were watching. We watched Kong Skull Island. <laughs> few nights ago because i can't get enough and looking at the cgi kong king kong i was like it's so real looking that it just doesn't look real like we mm. fully have like lapsed over where it you can see every hair on that big ape's head but it just is so clearly not an actual animal you know yeah yeah well i can't I, everywhere i go i bring king kong and godzilla with me yeah in every film i see them <laughs> I need to talk to you about that, by the way. I watched oh, them. Yeah, you I need do. to give you my yeah, you <laughs> two cents. <laughs> <laughs> off off mic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm so like we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we're both really interested in like memory in film. So it's mm. I'm 
I will, that's another reason why I wish I liked this movie more because I yeah, obviously is all about memory. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't work. Maybe it's because it it's ca- yeah. too chaotic. Yeah, I'm glad we both feel this way. There's just like a missing element where it just doesn't move into being like a particularly memorable film for me. Yeah. Um, and in Christopher Orr's review in The Atlantic, he think he sums it up pretty well. Um, Eternal Sunshine's elusiveness is not limited to its look. One of the least remarked upon achievements of the film may also be its most cunning, just how unmemorable Joel, Joel and Clementine's relationship is. Its general contours are clear enough. Clementine always pushing and testing, Joel always retreating and nursing grievances, but its details are easily forgotten. The dialogue is unremarkable and the conflict somewhat generic. There's something weirdly ephemeral about Eternal Sunshine. Brian Johnson of McLean's wrote, following the film's theatrical release. Just two days after seeing it, my own memory of the film has almost completely evaporated like a dream, which is not to say that the movie is forgettable. I'm still clinging to the strange but familiar emotions it raised, and I'm curious to see it again just to see where they came from. I totally agree. I don't think I had that much of an connect- emotional connection either. Mm-hmm. However, I will share an intimate detail, which is that I attempted to watch this... Um, 24 hours after my second dose of the COVID vaccine and fell asleep in the final 10 minutes. I was like, I can't do it. (laughs) But then I woke up, I watched, I rewatched the ending. Yeah. Later. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It, It doesn't, maybe, maybe, maybe because I want, movies to be like this, like escape. I don't know. Mm. But even then it's like, there are movies that I like that aren't like escapist and that sure. are sure yeah I think of like the before sunset trilogy mm-hmm. are movies about like a relationship kind of like coming together and falling apart mm-hmm. but I still think I still like love them I think mm-hmm. maybe I just care about the couple more um mm-hmm. yeah like I'm all in favor for having like flawed characters but there's just no saving you know, like a connection that can't be made when I don't like these two. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I wanted to like this movie so I much. Did. I wanted to like it too. Why don't we jump into one star reviews to read about some people who felt more dramatically than we did? Okay. This is the first one. This is the filmic equivalent of being stuck in a room with someone who thinks they have the most emotionally upsetting life imaginable and is doing everything in their power to persuade you they are truly tortured and pitiable. By the end of both experiences, you just want to go home and feel utterly relieved you aren't so arrogant, or you wish you were able to erase your own memory. Harsh. (laughs) But I understand what they're saying. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. The second one-star review is Kirsten Dunst starts dancing in her underwear. Whoop-dee-doo. Uh, Mark Ruffalo makes a mistake. Elijah Wood looks like a chihuahua. <laughs> Jim Carrey looks ill. Kate Winslet spaces out and annoys the hell out of me. That's the whole cast. <laughs> I, Elijah Wood looks like a chihuahua should like go on a shirt. It should be a meme. Honestly, <laughs> he does kind of look like a chihuahua. I love chihuahuas and I love Elijah Wood. It's that they have really big eyes. Yeah. They have big eyes on their face. Yes. Um, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, that's so funny. You should be so honored to be compared to a chihuahua. Like I texted Bridget this, but it's so jarring to see Elijah Wood and in, in he's that. not a human. Yeah, it's so like when he's in human Even form, the hair. it's I'm so like, weird. Yeah, it's so strange. I totally feel that, and he has done some really weird, interesting movies post 
uh, Lord of the Rings too. So. Yeah, he did that whole yeah. like um, Dick Clark Dick well, gently, but he, no TV show where he like talked to a dog, Wilfred or something. Oh, a whole other show. You're right. Yeah. Wait, no, I'm confusing him with a totally different actor. Oh, okay. That's okay. Yeah, he has done some <laughs> weird stuff. Mackenzie, what are your final thoughts and rating for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? This is purely on the fact that I just don't like this movie. I, I'm going to rate it a five. Mackenzie, always taking the rating out of my brain before <laughs> I say it. I just, um, I just don't like it. I think that it does some interesting things with yeah. uh, effects for sure. Um, and... Yeah. Same. I mean, not to copy you, but it feels like a five for me. It just, it honestly could just live on as a Tumblr gift set. Yeah. And that would be all I needed to revisit the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, them on the ice, her hair. Right. You get the picture. Yeah. (laughs) Let's jump into a more vibrant film. (laughs) So our next movie is Amelie from 2001. Amelie lives a quiet life. She waitresses at a cafe and keeps to herself, savoring small pleasures like the cracking of creme brulee. But after the death of Princess Diana, Amelie feels an urge to expand outside of her quiet life and change the lives of those around her. She begins to meddle in the lives of co-workers, neighbors, and acquaintances, acting as a fairy godmother who quietly notices their true desires and needs. But what does Amelie herself need and want? The answer arrives in a young man named Nino. What a cute, oh, good job. That was a really good wrap up. Oh, thank you. I heard it so quickly. Um, <laughs> this movie was the movie. Audrey Tato was the girl. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start by saying that rewatching this and looking at her beautiful, flawless, mm-hmm. velveteen skin yeah. and her little cherubic deer face. Mm-hmm. And her beautiful silky hair. Mm-hmm. And then every time a character would be like, Amelie, she's like pretty, I guess. Yeah, I know. She's fine. I was like, this movie is gaslighting me. It's trying to make me think one of the most beautiful women ever is just pretty. I know. Yeah, I felt the same way. I'm being fucked with. Right? Yes. <laughs> her, her, yeah, her skin is like, she has no pores. <laughs> she has no, I mean, obviously there's like a filter, but I'm still like, there's so many close-ups of her where I'm just like, I was looking at the pores yeah. too. I was trying to look around her nose. Oh God. And it, yeah. And uh, the haircut that literally no one could pull off like that. Yeah. With the little turf bangs mm-hmm. and the swoopy ends. Yeah. Audrey Tato. And I wrote in our notes that she was also in a very long engagement, which I highly recommend, but I have not revisited since being obsessed with it as a teenager. Uh, also directed by uh, JPJ, Jean Perret, uh, Junet. Um, and then I feel like after these movies, her reward for being in some of France's most popular cinema was to be cast in the Da Vinci Code. I know. <laughs> I know. What a, what a win. <sighs> yeah. Across from Tom Hanks as his love interest. Yeah. And he looks so... They keep, like, putting that across my Netflix. And he looks so crazy in that movie. He has, like, long hair. Oh, my God. I forgot that. Wow. Everyone forgot about The Da Vinci Code, okay? And she plays, like, the descendant of Jesus in it. Did you read that book? Yes. (laughs) 
plot. That book, I remember being like, what, like 14 or 13 and being like, oh my God, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. Same. What a wild ride. But she's really good in this. And mm-hmm. she's with, cast across from Gaspar Ullier Gaspar in A Very Long Engagement. And uh, it's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have to watch it now. Oh, it's good. It's a lot like this movie. It's, I was surprised that I only just today learned that it's directed by the same guy because they're very similar. They're just about like a quirky. She basically plays Amelie in World War II, (laughs) who has to find her fiance um, after he goes missing. And it's, she just like, she's kind of like a detective. It's very, very similar. And she's also, she has a back problem. So, like Amelie, she has like this barrier that keeps her from connecting with the rest of the world. Ah. Interesting. It's the same movie now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, this movie is interesting to think about uh, in terms of it being one of the most successful French movies ever globally. Hmm. Like it broke record. It was like, I think at the time, the most successful French movie ever mm-hmm. um, on like a global scale. And it would be, to me, like the equivalent of there being a really, really successful overseas American movie about a girl named like, Jane Conroe, who <laughs> works next to a cornfield selling apple pie. And, you know, like, it just seems like it really plays into a lot of, like, Americanized ideas about Paris and French people. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I de- never, like, picked up on that when I was, mm-hmm. like, younger watching this movie and loving it. I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so romantic. And, like... Yeah, it's one of those movies where it's like, okay... You can engage on it on the one level that its creators probably wanted you to engage with it on, which is a sweet romantic movie um, that looks beautiful. And then you like chip away at that a little bit and you're kind of like, what does this movie say about like the mo- the movement it was released and like where it was coming from? Mm. Um, and I had never thought critically about Amelie in that way, but we read an article by Frederick uh, Bonad um called the Amelie effect and he's basically making the point that this movie represents an all white version of the popular abbess neighborhood um and it's just apparently like a really actually diverse uh neighborhood mm-hmm. that has been kind of just you know whitewashed in this film um and it's interesting to think about because France is increasingly a very like right-wing conservative country mm-hmm. and like recently like outlawed the burqa you know right. and this is a version of france that is very white there's like one non-white actor i think yeah um it's just worth it's just worth noting i think right uh, revisiting the movie after all these years yeah i definitely think there's also like a part in a train station where she's like walking alone and like scared of three black guys behind her yeah, which i oh was gosh. cringed at because they're like the only other black men in the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's just not... Aside from it's intentional, the Moroccan you know? Man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely something that I, like, didn't pick up on when I was younger watching this. Um, and it did used to be, I would say, like, one of my favorite movies. I haven't thought about it in a long mm-hmm. time. But I was definitely mm-hmm. an indie girl... Loving yeah, Amelie, yeah. like Childress Gambino, yeah. rapped about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amelie is 
definitely a manic pixie dream girl but like she's the protagonist so it's a little different you know she doesn't really speak much um i'd like to show you i'm gonna oh if you, anyone can hear that that was my dog making like a terrible farting slash snoring noise that was not me um <laughs> obviously podcasting is not a visual media but i would like to perform for Mackenzie my version of the amelie smile which is like okay yeah no i see it i see it can I see yours? Yeah. It's fair. Mine? Okay. Okay, that's pretty good. She, like, <laughs> puckers her in the middle of her lips down and then turns the, at, like, the outward, uh, outside corners, like, all the way up. It's a, it's difficult. It reminds me of um, the Grinch or... Yes. Or, um, like, an imp. And I think that... I think on the back of the DVD that I had of this, it described her as imp-like. And I think that's very okay. accurate. Because um, she is, like, this little fairy or, like, mm-hmm. uh, like pic- pixie, literally. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, like, delivers um, good tidings to people in different ways, sort of. Um but I think that I mean I st- I still really enjoy this movie watching it like I'm not gonna pretend I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sweet, and I agreed with something you were saying before we were on mic, which is I think like the best part of the movie and the part that works the most for me is kind of like introducing people and characters by like their likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. um, which would seem like really elementary and like black and white, but I think it's just like a good way in a visual medium to construct a world you know yeah. um i really like that a lot and it is a good little romance yeah i think it holds up like i think what i i like most about this movie it like you said like how they focus on details about each mm-hmm. character really quickly making them seem like a real person like fleshed mm-hmm. out person with a backstory Absolutely. um and also that a lot of what Amelie makes Amelie so special is that she pays attention to what's going on around her and the people mm-hmm. that she meets. And I think that is one of the things that a good movie does really well. Um, mm-hmm. Like it makes you just pay attention. Like everything in a frame of a movie was purposefully put there in a good movie Mm -hmm. um and i think that when you're watching a good movie you get this feeling of like satisfaction and like being fully like present because you're Mm. presented with all these curated like details that you need to pay attention to and i think in this movie it's sort of doing that like more explicitly like kind of holding your hand and being like it's important Mm -hmm. to pay attention to your surroundings and like be present and yeah i mean like in lady bird when she's like paying attention is like being in love or whatever the fuck but in this movie i think i think that's why it resonates so much with people that are maybe like like i watched this when i was just starting to like you know grow up yeah (laughs) i guess (laughs) look like you know um, and I think it's it's sort of like, yeah, like I said, like uh, it holds your hand and is like, mm-hmm. you need to 
pay attention <laughs> to other yeah. people and just like the little things, I guess, mm-hmm. which I think, like I said, good movies can do that without doing it so explicitly uh, as mm-hmm. this movie, but this movie's a good like um, gateway. <laughs> gateway being present definer uh yeah definitely uh totally agree with you and i like the ending message or point the movie closes out on you know like where amelie has to like find joy for herself you know like she has to put the oxygen mask on for herself first before she can continue to make other people's life have a little spark in it yeah. um, which is really sweet and i have a renewed appreciation for the cuteness of uh nino yeah as an adult yeah they're so cute i it's weird that like that ghost train uh scene where he's weird. like caressing hot. her neck and stuff it's so hot i feel like that has so influenced my aesthetic like so yeah. i haven't even realized but it's like i base my entire life off that scene probably yeah no 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 that was, it was really hot i forgot about that scene and then i was like Whoa. I did not forget. I didn't forget. I was like, here it is. The ghost train scene. <laughs> ghost train. What a hottie. What a hottie. Uh, yeah. I do also like that uh, they it pokes fun at Amelie for being this like self-righteous. Like, I'm yeah. helping everyone. And they have a scene where she's just like sitting in self-pity, crying, imagining herself as like Mother Teresa. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does poke fun at her too, which I appreciate. Yeah. It also made me want to go to a photo booth by myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It made me want to learn. Like I took French in college and forgot all of it, and I was like, ah, to- if only I could understand what they were saying without <laughs> reading subtitles. That would be worth the education I paid oh, for. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe I should get on Duolingo for for French. <laughs> I did I did Duolingo for French for like a month or something. But we, oui? <laughs> yeah, again. I literally don't remember any of it. I don't remember. You just said something it. French to me. I said one word, which is yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> je m'appelle Bridget. Je suis um, American. American. That was good. That was really good, Mackenzie. <laughs> I sent Mackenzie an audio clip of me impersonating the French people saying Lady D, <laughs> which is Lady Diana. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot this movie. Now that I think a lot more about Lady Diana or Princess mm-hmm. Diana a lot, I was like, oh, did not remember that this movie has a pivotal Princess Diana plot in it. I suffusing the film. Bridget, I must have watched this movie way more than you. I remembered like literally yeah. everything that happened. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. I think I saw it once. I think it was like when I was on Tumblr and would have to um, elbow my way to the top of my family's Netflix queue where you would get mm-hmm. like the DVDs sent to you. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how I saw it. Oh, I had I had the DVD. Oh, my gosh. A devotee. <sighs> I do remember I uh, sat down one of my friends from high school to watch it. And I was like, this movie is going to change your life. It's the best movie ever. And then she finished it and was like, what's the point? And I was like, they're in love. <laughs> like, they're what do you mean? But they're on a Vespa. At yeah. I was like, it, the um, point is that it's a movie. Like, what? <laughs> a French movie that I was obsessed with in high school with some of my friends was uh, Paris Chatem. Have you seen that? Uh, no. Um, it's It had an American remake called New York, I Love You. I've seen that. Uh, I think maybe I have ooh. seen it. 
it's like short short films yeah. by a bunch of different directors about Paris. Um, and uh, like the Coen brothers do a one with Steve Buscemi. It's like very random. I think now probably as an adult, I would recognize a lot more of the directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there's a lot of really romantic uh, short stories. Like there's one with Natalie Portman and a blind man. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's like Gus Van Sant, the Coen brothers, and then like friendship. Alfonso Cuaron, mm. um, Wes Craven, <laughs> weird Alexander Payne. Yeah, I we were obsessed with this movie when it came out and watched it constantly. And Margot Martindale is in the very last film uh, as a American tourist who goes to France and like narrates the whole thing in her terrible French. <laughs> um, and I always feel like her when I speak. The point I was trying to make. Yeah, French is hard. French is hard, and the trick is they just don't say a lot of consonants. Yeah. So I should excel at it, actually, because you're just not pronouncing things. Yeah, you're just just swallowing. Yeah. I should be better at it than I am. Well, Mackenzie, any final thoughts on Amelie before we jump into a Wednesday Reviews? Um... I will say that I didn't, I'm not like, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I did when I was younger, but I still really enjoyed it. The ghost train scene still hits. Um, the end scene where they finally talk still hits. Uh, I remember I used to like think about someone kissing me like that. Aww. Yeah. It's really sweet. But. Yeah, like I said, th- didn't enjoy it as quite as much as I did when I was younger. I'm gonna rate this movie a. I guess. It's Don't you dare rate it when I'm gonna rate it, Lindsay <laughs> Chapman. You go first. You go first. I'm gonna rate it a six. Okay, I was gonna rate it a seven. Okay, thank God. Phew. Yeah, <laughs> and like I feel like fifty percent of that is the ghost train scene. <laughs> I just ghost train scene. Very like hot. I said, I think like it, I probably base my whole personality off of that. It's like the limes in uh, what's her name's kitchen. Oh, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, yeah. but that was a lie. She doesn't even like. No, limes. I know, but I saw a TikTok of a girl that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. she was like, I base my entire personality off of Dakota Johnson liking limes, and she put her like limes in water and just drank lime juice all the time. She based your life on a lie. A lie. Well, this movie's a lie in some ways. <laughs> but it speaks a little truth. <laughs> um, the first one star review is, I hate to be one of those negative people, but I hate this movie with an incredible fiery passion. I think it's very possibly the most overrated film of all time. I watched it a while back expecting to see something amazing, but I was disappointed beyond words. The main character is possibly the... Very possibly the most annoying movie creation of all time. She's really cutesy and pale, and she doesn't say anything. She's like a cross between Shirley Temple and a mime. By the end of the movie, you just want to reach into the screen and choke her. You know, in our last film that we talked about, I was annoyed by Kate Winslet's character, but never once did I want to choke her. Yeah. I I never have that urge, really. <laughs> never. I really never do. Um, The next one-star review is, obnoxious film about a woman child who can't find a man but yes she does yeah she does did you watch the whole movie (laughs) 
she does find a man. Do you have a man? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just read this final one. Mm. Um, what we have is an early 20s female, so Sully adolescent do-gooder who resorts to matchmaking forced conf- coincidence and yes even trespassing illegal entry and a potential arch- arson charge to boot to f- fill her internal emptiness because she can't find a man and when she does find someone she doesn't know what to do that's another reason this movie is relatable it's like you don't know what to do sometimes she you just don't know what to, to do when you have a crush oh yeah um i love that we have found a type of person who leaves imdb imdb reviews who is a cop who is like i'm gonna list <laughs> things that happen it's not the first one we've read you're right this person is out there this type of person is out there that just loves tattling on film yeah, characters like, for committing imaginary crimes. yes like in the oceans movie they were like yeah. these men it's bad it's cool to be thieves yeah yeah another thing that i forgot to say is that i feel like fleabag was inspired by amelie a lot because amelie breaks the fourth wall in a similar way they're also similarly narcissistic. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And the haircut. Oh Don't my god, the and the haircut. And she wears like a lot of stripes, I feel like. She's trying to be French. Wow. So. And the name Phoebe, that could be French. Who knows? So if Phoebe Wallerbridge, what's her name? Confirm or deny. Phoebe Wallerbridge. Okay, sorry. I was like, Phoebe Bridgers. Phoebe Wallerbridge. I was like, I don't know what is right um so if she likes amelie which i think she does based on this the similarities yeah, we're i'm calling that, it yeah. then it's okay that i like it too <laughs> uh did we already rate it yeah sorry oh wow it's okay we're doing the oscars we're we're doing a little bit of this a little bit of that and then we're doing a little bit uh nice um chick flicks is researched and written by bridget hovell and edited by Mackenzie chapman Many thanks to Tim Creep Carlson for our music. Our next episode will air on May 15th, and we'll be discussing Mr. and Mrs. Smith and the Long Kiss Goodnight. You can follow Chick Flicks on Instagram and Twitter at Chick Flicks Podcast, at Chick Flicks Pod, I'm sorry, and email us at chickflickspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave us a review. Bye! Bye!